have Jesus Storybook time going forward because something much more exciting is happening. Uh, this is the week that we launch our children's Bible study program, Rotate. Okay, don't. This is the week we, we launch our children's Bible study program for the first time. Uh, yeah, worth clapping for, absolutely. Certainly want to give thanks to God and to those who have worked very hard to put it together. Um, but because they'll be working on that for the afternoons, we won't have the Jesus Storybook time going forward. Once again in our Gospel reading this morning, Jesus seems to be saying something pretty extreme, doesn't he? Something a little bit confusing, maybe. He says, anyone who does not hate his father, his mother, even his own life, cannot be my disciple. As I said, a little confusing, certainly, a little, not a little, very extreme. As usual, when we talk through these things, what does it mean? The first thing we want to address is what it, what it does not mean. When he says, hate your father and mother, it doesn't mean you need to treat them poorly or, or dislike them in the way that we often think about hating someone, right? someone that we dislike, someone that we might be tempted to treat poorly. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Uh, in fact, honor your father and mother. The, the uh, fourth commandment still applies in this situation. What's happening is that the word hate gets used here because the Greek language, the Greek language in which the New Testament is written, has a tendency to, to think and speak in terms of either or, in terms of opposites. And so in this idea, in this Greek way of thinking, if I love one, then I have to not love the other one. I have to opposite of love the other. And so what's the opposite of love is hate, right? If I love one, then I hate the other. So this isn't about malice, meanness, thinking badly about them or, or wishing them ill in the way, again, that sometimes we think of hating someone. It's simply a, a convention of the language, a way that the language says, don't place them in highest love. So it just means opposite of love them, or at least to the highest level. And then the next phrase, the next thing Jesus says, helps to spell out a little bit of what that means, to not love them to the highest. He says, if you do not take up your cross, and follow me, again, you cannot be my disciple. Take up your cross and follow me. This is what it means to hate, to not love to the highest, your father, your mother, everything else. And sometimes we think of that, well, let me ask you, when you think of, of, of taking up your cross, if someone says that's, that's your cross to bear, what do we usually mean by that phrase? What are we usually describing or talking about? Are you going to give the answer or what we usually mean? Don't spoil my sermon. <laughs> have to uh, uh, take what we have, deal with it. Deal, uh, yeah, we usually mean something like dealing with what we have, right? Dealing with what's before us. Usually refers to an obstacle, to a struggle, to a challenge. If someone says you have a cross to bear, it usually means you have a struggle to deal with, a, 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 an obstacle to live with. But in the time of Jesus, it didn't really mean that. In, in the time of Jesus, the idea of bearing a cross only meant one thing. It only meant what the cross is used for, which is death. It would have been saying, like the electric chair or the guillotine. 
And when we think of the electric chair or the guillotine, we don't think of a struggle or an obstacle, do we? We think of death. So take up the cross. In the time that Jesus said it would have meant only one thing to these people. It means to die to those other things. To the things most dear to you, even so dear as your father or your mother, even your own life, right? Your own needs and, and wants and desires and plans. To, to, to hate those things, to not hold them in that highest love and to take up your cross means to be ready to die to all of that. Ready to let go of all of that. To lay it down, all of it. And if you aren't ready to let go of all those things, if you aren't ready to, to approach them as if you were dead to them, Jesus says you cannot be his disciple. Let's be very clear about one thing before we go on. You cannot be his disciple, but you can be his child, his brother, his sister, his friend. See, Jesus has already given his life in your place. He took, he took up the cross to pay for your sin and, and mine and, and to make you absolutely holy, completely blameless before God. And in baptism, he made that death yours. In the water of baptism, he washed you clean. He brought you back into his family. On that day, at that moment in time, when you were baptized, all the promises of God became your promises. And that is completed fact. It, it will not change. It's over and done with and not going anywhere. What that means is that God knows you and your needs. And He provides for them. Jesus will walk beside you every day of your life, just like He said, right? I'll be with you always. In struggles and chaos and confusion, He'll be there. He's renewing and restoring all the broken things around you. My kingdom is coming, he says, and that's your promise too. And it means also he's making room for you around his table. In his father's house, there's a room for you and he'll take you to be there with him. That you have a seat around that banquet table. As you come around his table every week, your sins are forgiven again and, and, and you are renewed and restored again. All those promises of God that we see all through Scripture and all through Jesus' time here with us, they're all yours. And so you can be a child of God, loved and forgiven, without being a disciple of Jesus, willing to let go of all those other things that are most dear to you. Is that, is that, are we clear there? You can do that. You can be God's child without being his disciple, willing to let go of those things that are dear to you. But the question is, should you? You can do it, but, but should you do it? After all, to quote Paul, you were bought at a price. God gave his son for you. Jesus gave his life for you. The promises you have, the hope that you have, it's yours and it's sealed and it's done with. But it's costly. If it costs that much to rescue us, maybe that means something. Maybe that, maybe that calls for a, a certain kind of response. A response more than, than just coming here to reaffirm my personal connection with him. That's what Jesus means when he, when he talks about being his disciple, being his follower, right? We've talked about this before. The, the word disciple means follower. And so, what Jesus is talking about here is, is not what you have to do to be saved, not what you have to do so the promises apply to you. That part is already taken care of, and it will not change for you. 
But he's talking about recognizing and responding to the incredible gift that he's given you by following after him, by doing as he did, by living his, your life in the way that he lived. And you can't do that unless you're willing to take up the cross. Or maybe a better way of saying this is, if you are doing what Jesus did, if you're living your life in the way that he lived his, as a grateful response to his sacrifice for you, if you're doing that, you will be taking up a cross. You will be laying down those things that are very important to you, very dear for you, in the pursuit of a bigger picture, because that's what he did. If you're responding to Jesus' gift for you by living as he did, you will be doing the things he did, which is giving those things up. And again, you don't have to. The promises don't change for you. But if you want to, if you're ready to live your life as he lived his, to, to go where he went, so to speak, our second reading that Denise shared with us, the letter to Philemon, it shows us how. Paul writes it to one of his followers, Philemon, about a runaway slave, Onesimus. And Onesimus was a slave of Philemon, a, a runaway, as I just said. This is what happens when you write these things on Sunday morning. <laughs> Onesimus was the slave of, of Philemon, and, and, and during his time when he ran away, he spent some time with Paul, and, and during that time he, he apparently came to faith in Jesus. And so Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon with this letter. And as we, as we look again at this second reading, Philemon, uh, the whole thing, two things to pay attention to here. The first is what Paul is asking for, what Paul is asking Philemon to do, and secondly, the way that he asks it. So let's take a closer look, starting with verse 15. I'm going to read from the translation that you have in front of you. Verse 15, bottom of page 3 in your service folder. It seems that you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. And here's the important part. He is no longer a slave to you. He is more than a slave. For he is a beloved brother, especially to me. So Philemon, the master, would have been within his rights to return Onesimus to slavery to continue treating him like a slave. And slavery then, by the way, wasn't like we know slavery in our history. It didn't work quite the same way with the, the abuse and the mistreatment and the, the humiliation and all of that. But still, Philemon had the right to treat Onesimus essentially as property. Philemon was powerful in that relationship and Onesimus was weak in the relationship. And so Philemon would have been within his right to continue treating Onesimus as his property, as his slave. One powerful, one weak. And a similar dynamic is happening between Paul and Philemon. So there's a power relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. There's a similar power relationship between Paul and Philemon. Here's what I mean. Uh, verse 18. Uh, this is top of page 4 now. Paul writing to Philemon again. If he, Onesimus, has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And I won't mention to you that you owe me your very soul. So who's powerful in that relationship? Paul is. The one who uh, is owed a soul, right? 
Paul referring apparently to having shared the gospel with Philemon, to, brought him, to having brought him to eternal life. And so when he says, when he says it, what he says is in that relationship, right? Paul is powerful, Philemon is not. Philemon owes a great deal to Paul, so there's the, the power dynamic again. So Paul is powerful, writing to Philemon, who is not powerful, at least in that relationship. But Paul doesn't write a letter that says, this is what I'm doing because I can, so deal with it, right? He could have written that letter. This is what I want to do, it's within, within my right to do it, so just deal with it. He says instead, he says, I could have done this, I have the power, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent. In other words, Paul is, Paul is laying down the power that he has over Philemon, treating him as an equal, even though the situation says he's not one. And he's asking Philemon to do the same for Onesimus, to lay down the power that he has over Onesimus, to treat him as an equal, even though the situation, the relationship says they aren't, one, aren't equals, and to sacrifice, right? Not only to sacrifice by laying down the power he has, but also to sacrifice any benefit he would have gotten from Onesimus' slavery. It'll cost Philemon to do this. Now he has to pay him. It'll cost Philemon to do this. And that's what it is to take up a cross as Jesus did. That's what he did on the cross, right? Lay down power. In John chapter 10, he says, No one takes my life from me. I, I lay it down on my own, by my own choice. So he's laying down power to make equals out of you and me out of people who aren't, who haven't done anything, who can't do anything to deserve it, but Jesus on the cross lays down that power to make you equal to Him, to make you clean and holy and new again, just as He is. And He does it even at a great cost. So taking up a cross like Jesus did is laying down power to make equal someone who isn't, even at a great cost. To follow Jesus then, to live your life as, as he lived his, is to do that. To die to, to go against power structures and, and norms and rights and, and, and all those relationships that say you can be powerful. To go against that for the benefit of someone else, someone weaker, who can't do anything to earn that or deserve it, even at a great cost. Once again, there's nothing riding on this for you. Your place in, in Jesus' family is secure. This, this is not a have-to for you, because there aren't any of those. Those of all the have-tos for you have been taken care of and satisfied, and so there's nothing riding on this. You're secure. But let's talk quickly as we finish up about what it, what it might look like in your life if you, if you want to do this. You don't have to, but if you want to. Maybe, it's, maybe it looks like responding with, with love and peace when a coworker or a friend has wronged you. And popular opinion, everybody around the water cooler says you have the right to hit back. Maybe it's letting go of that, that very dear urge to get even. Or maybe it looks like welcoming and, and even loving and serving the person that everyone agrees isn't worth it or doesn't deserve it even though that, that will probably make you unpopular, might make other people suspicious of you, so there's a sacrifice there, there's a cost there. Or here's an interesting one, maybe it looks like this, maybe it's knowing how your favorite products are made, 
where they come from, how they get to you, and declining to give your money to manufacturers who mistreat their workers. Sacrificing something you might want because it's harmful to someone else. So just a few examples there. You can think of others in your own life of how this type of of sacrificing power, laying down power for someone else's benefit at a cost to you, how that would look in your life. But the basic principle is this. It comes out in the way that we relate to other people by challenging, even, even walking away from those power structures that say that I have the right to be on top and, and the right to inflict something upon this person, but challenging that and walking away from it by sacrificing, right? By letting go of rights and privileges and power that I might have. And some of the time, that's going to feel really important to us. The things that you're letting go of are going to feel really important to you. Might even might even hurt a little bit. It might feel like a loss to let go of this, but you can, and you can lean on the, the love of God who sacrificed first for you, who promises to walk beside you each step of the way, and who has a place ready for you around his table. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Take 30 seconds, if you would, for me, and just uh, reflect on that from what you've heard this morning. What's Jesus asking you or inviting you to, to believe or do differently? in your life. And if I could specify again the question, maybe this time, who's he asking you to be different toward in your life?